Thank you for choosing and selecting to listen to this podcast of Risen.Church. My name is Mike Booth, and I want to start today with just a question about, have you ever decided to maybe to try something new in your life, like maybe learn uh, how to use a computer? If you're my age, some people have never done that. Or have you tried to develop a new skill, maybe like learn calligraphy or something like that? Or if you pick up a new sport, like golf, uh, First thing you got to do in any of these endeavors in life is you have to learn the basics. I mean, you you can't just jump in at the tail end of things and think you can just do it all at once. You have to begin with the basics. I mean, can you imagine Mozart having to learn to play the scales on a piano? Uh, what about Shakespeare? Can you imagine the difficulty he might have had in trying to learn the alphabet uh, before he could write the the plays and novels that he did? Basic things are really the fundamental truths that are the foundation for the decisions we make, for the values we cherish, and for the goals that we try to accomplish in our life. And if you ever begin to wonder why there's maybe so much confusion and destruction and tension in the world today, I think it's probably because people are ignoring or rejecting some of the basics. And of course, what we're going to start now is to go through the book of Genesis. And Genesis is a book of basics. It's all about the beginnings in the Bible. And to know Genesis is to know the fundamental truths, the basics about God and the world, uh, the basics about yourself and other people. It also describes for us what the law is, what sin is, what salvation is. It talks about marriage, and it talks about faith and spiritual fulfillment. Of course, now Genesis is part of the Bible, and it was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And Moses wrote Genesis to tell us where we came from, why we're here, and what God would expect us to do in our lives. Uh, Moses also explains about how the Jewish nation came into being and that God had chosen the Jewish nation, that through them he would allow himself to be revealed to the whole world, uh, to write the Bible, and to ultimately give us our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you know this, but Genesis is quoted or referred to over 200 times in the New Testament. So it's necessary as a Christian, as a believer, a follower of Christ, to be able to understand the message of Genesis. In today's podcast, if we wanted a title, it could be called B.C. Now, when you usually think of the initials B.C., you think of the before Christ, before the year that Christ was born. We're going to go at it with a little bit different slant, the B.C. meaning something different than before Christ was born. Because, you see, even though Genesis is the beginning of the Bible, and it's the first book of the Bible, it isn't the beginning of God and everything else. Um, God is eternal. That's one of the things that the book uh, of the Bible tells us about. So if God is eternal and existed before Genesis begins, it almost begs to ask the question, what was God doing before creation? So B.C. is really standing before creation as opposed to before Christ. And as we begin to answer that question, it will set the tone about God's revelation in the entire Bible. So before Genesis, the first thing that we know is that God was planning redemption. Uh, before he spoke this universe into existence, he had already began to plan the redemption for sinful mankind. And what was that salvation before Genesis 1-1? And what does it teach us about God and about ourselves? Well, first of all, it teaches us that God has always existed. He's eternal, and he existed in transcendent glory. He's eternal. 
He's totally sufficient in and of himself. He needs nothing more to exist or to continue existing or to act. We as human beings, on the other hand, require lots of things. We need air. We need food. We need water. We need even other people in our lives. God, though, absolutely needs nothing else. A.W. Tozer says this, God has a voluntary relation to everything uh, he has made, but he has no necessary relation to anything outside of himself. He is self-sufficient in and of himself, and he always existed in transcendent glory. Now, the divine trinity was also in loving community for all eternity. The God of the Bible explains to us that God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This doesn't mean that God manifests himself in three different forms or that there were three different gods. It isn't one God taking on three roles. It's literally meaning that one God exists in three persons who are equal in their attributes and they're individual and distinct in their offices and ministry. Now, the doctrine of the Trinity isn't clearly revealed in the Old Testament, but the emphasis in the Old Testament is that the God of Israel, the one true God, uncreated and unique, was the only true God. And the word Trinity is found nowhere in the Bible, but the doctrine is always there. It's hidden in the Old Testament, but revealed in the New Testament. But what practicality does that have for us to know the doctrine about God being uh, one in three and three in one? Well, it's because in planning redemption, all three persons of the Godhead are actively involved in the salvation of sinners. So then we go on and think about what was going on before creation. The divine trinity literally planned redemption ahead of time. You see, the salvation that we have for our sin wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't that Adam and Eve sinned and then God said, oh, what am I going to do now? And had to go to plan B. No, he had thought this uh, redemption and was chosen the way men would be redeemed from the foundation, before the foundation of the world. The sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross was not an accident. It was a divine appointment. It was what God had set before the foundation of the world. Now, the three persons of the Trinity work in harmony to accomplish the divine will of that redemption. A matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, it declares to us that we are chosen by the Father, we are purchased by the Son, and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And all of this, of the work and the activity of the three persons of the Godhead, is to be able to bring praise to the glory of God. And all three persons are involved in our individual salvation. As for me as an individual, as for the Father, I was saved when he graciously extended his grace and mercy to me before the foundation of the world through Jesus Christ. And as for the Son, I was saved when he died on the cross, bearing my sin so that I could be forgiven by God the Father. And as for the Spirit, I was saved in March of 1960 when he convicted me of my sin and of a need for a Savior, and I play, I prayed and committed my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord for the salvation that would come through him. Now, trying to understand all this about the Trinity and how all this took place before the foundation of the world is a little bit overwhelming. And there's a saying about eternity and about salvation. If we try to explain these things, we may lose our mind. And if we try to explain these things away, we may lose our soul. So as we accept these things by faith, keep in mind what Paul wrote to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, now I see through a mirror dimly. As we try to, uh, on this earth, 
look into eternity and look into the heavens and try to explain God and the things he worked, we have to realize we can't see it clearly now. But one day when we see him face to face, all these things will become abundantly clear. So we see Genesis and we see how uh, redemption was planned, but also redemption was promised even before uh, Genesis 1-1 began. You see, God, when he wrote the Bible out for us, he didn't comprise to us a systematic theology where it was written in nice little sections about God, about man, about sin, about creation, and so forth and so on. No, literally what he wrote out for us is a narrative story that begins from eternity past and goes all the way into eternity future. And the story focuses upon God and his dealings with us as his creation, with all kinds of people and how they would respond to his word. And as we read the Bible, this narrative that God puts out for us, we can begin to discover our own personal story that's found in the pages. Because if you look deep enough and long enough into the pages of the scripture, you will meet yourself in the Bible. Now, the original Hebrew writing was not divided. Uh, Genesis wasn't divided as into 50 chapters like our English Bible is today. But we'll use those references to be able to talk about the book of Genesis. Now, the first 11 chapters of Genesis deal with humanity in general, and it focuses upon four great events. The creation, chapters 1 and 2, then the fall of man and uh, all of the consequences of that fall in chapters 3 through 5, and then in chapters 6 through 9, it talks about the flood of Noah, and then in chapters 10 and 11, it talks about the rebellion that took place by the world's people against God at Babel. And then Genesis 12 through 50, the rest of the book really recounts the story of Israel in particular and how God had chose them, and it centers its story around four great men. Of course, that's the great patriarchs of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So as we walk through Genesis, we're going to really look at those four great events and the four great men to see what God is trying to reveal of himself to us through the book of Genesis. Now remember, Genesis is not a detailed history book. That gives us all of what we need to know or everything about what happened in the lives of each one of these events or these people. But they're there, and what is chosen is to achieve God's purpose. And that's purpose is not just to give us the complete history, but to explain the origins of things, especially the Jewish nation, so that as God was going to allow Messiah to come to them, we would be able to accept him as our Lord and Savior. It's kind of interesting because in chapters 1 through 11, you find a series of failures of mankind. And then in chapter 12, you begin to see where God picks up those pieces with the call of Abraham and begins to restore uh, his creation back to a new beginning, back to what he originally planned. Now, man's sin brought God's curse. But God's gracious uh, covenant that he made with Abraham was to bring blessing not just for the family of Abraham and not just for the nation of Israel, but for the entire world, as we'll see in chapter 12. But it's no, uh, It's worth noting that when man is at its, his worst and at our lowest, that's when God gives us a new beginning. Cain killed Abel, but yet God raised up Seth to continue the godly line. And then when the earth became so violent and wicked that God decided to wipe out humanity, God still chose Noah and his family and protected them so that they could carry on his work. 
And then out of the pagan area of Ur of the Chaldeans, God called Abraham and Sarah and gave them a son, Isaac, which was going to be the future of God's salvation that would come to all mankind. And then there's Isaac and Rebekah, and they had two sons, Esau and Jacob. God rejected the oldest, Esau, and chose Jacob, the younger, and it was through him that he was going to build the nation of Israel through those 12 sons that Jacob had. So in other words, from beginning to the end, Genesis is the story of God's sovereign will and his electing grace. Now, it doesn't mean that all these people in the story were mere robots, Uh, because they made mistakes. They even tried to thwart God's plans in many ways. But whenever uh, people resisted God's rule, he would step in and overrule to accomplish his divine purposes. So what was God doing before uh, Genesis 1-1, before the creation? Well, he was out there planning redemption. He was promising redemption. But then also as we go through the Bible and, and beginning with Genesis, we'll see where that redemption is accomplished. God first promised that there would be a way back to him in chapter 3, verse 15, after Adam and Eve sinned, God made a promise saying that the seed of woman would crush the head of the serpent. And that was really just a prophecy saying and a promise that God was making that through man, somehow this redemption would come. So now where would this redeemer come from? Well, the Savior was going to be a man, not an angel, because God didn't work to redeem the angels. The angels cannot sin against God. It was man that chose to go and disobey God's words. So this redemption is going to come through a man, and it would save all human beings. And, uh, of course, now, as that promise was made, and as Satan has dominion in this world, he began to do everything in his power to be able to stop that. He had Cain, the older brother, kill Abel, uh, but then God raised up Seth to continue that promise. And then during the flood, as I said, uh, he used Noah uh, and brought his family out to continue his promise that Messiah would come. The Exodus tells us how after the nation Israel grew, God brought them out, and the Hebrew nation suffered for all those 400 years in Egypt, and as they followed God, they were disobedient, didn't go on into the promised land that God had to them. They wandered 40 years in the wilderness, and then God raised up Joshua. Joshua led the nation, the congregation of Israel, into the promised land, and we would think, okay, they got it now where they were supposed to be. They would live and do it. No, they became disobedient, and they suffered some great consequences of their disobedience through the judges. Uh, And then God raised up Saul as the first king, and he too was disobedient. But then God anointed young David as a shepherd boy, and he became the king of Israel in Saul's place. And that was the one, uh, that was the chosen line that God decided to work on through to bring Messiah into this world. And Isaiah the prophet would later announce that this Redeemer that was going to come through the lineage of David, the tribe of Judah, would be born of a virgin. And how did it all end? Well, Galatians 4.4 tells us that in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That's in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. And then if you move forward on into uh, the, the story, the narrative of the birth of Jesus Christ, and you look in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2, it tells us that the angels announced this great coming of Messiah to the world, to the shepherds, says, for unto you uh, is born this day in the city of David an, a Savior who is Christ Jesus the Lord. This promise began in Genesis, 
and it has been fulfilled now through Jesus Christ, his birth of a virgin, his sinless life, his death on the cross, dying in our place for our sins, his burial and the resurrection and the ascension into heaven. And the Bible promises us now that one day, the same Jesus, what the Bible tells us today, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, is going to come back to receive to himself those who are his own. So as we journey through Genesis, we hope and pray it'll set the foundation for you to be able to have the faith to be ready for when Christ returns, so that when he comes back, you won't be caught unaware, but you will be received to him as his bride and to be able to live with him forever in eternity. Thank you for listening today. And if you have any questions or comment, please email me at mike at risen, and that's spelled R-I-Z-E-N dot church, and I'd be glad to hear from you and respond accordingly. Thank you and have a blessed day.